A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And happy Thanksgiving to everyone celebrating. A big thank you to all of you for listening to and hanging with me here on Talk is Jericho. You know I love doing this show, and I wouldn't be able to do it without all of you sexy bees, Talk is Jericho listeners. So cheers and happy Thanksgiving to all of you. All right, got a good one for you today. Dustin Rhodes returns to Talk is Jericho, this time as a solo act. Uh, he came face-to-face with the Chupacabra and lived to tell the tale. He'll share the details coming up here. That's how we we're going to start this uh, show today. But he's also about to celebrate his 35th anniversary in the wrestling business, so we decided to break down some of his favorite all-time matches. We hit the 10-man tag he had with the Hart Foundation, Brett Owen, the Anvil, Jim Neidhart, David Boy Smith, and Brian Pillman versus Dustin, Ken Shamrock, Steve Austin, and the Road Warriors. That was in Calgary. Uh, we got the Gold Dust versus Salvio Vega match at Madison Square Garden that really launched the popularity of the Gold Dust character. The unbelievable backyard brawl he had with Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 12. The crazy vignette pre-shoot they did in LA, kind of one of the uh, precursors to the cinematic uh, matches that we saw during the pandemic. Uh, this uh, cinematic match that ended up with both guys being sent to the hospital. We got the 1992 War Games match between Sting's squadron and the Dangerous Alliance. And of course, his huge match with his brother Cody at AEW's first double or nothing pay per view. Uh, and then, of course, we talk about what it's like for Dustin State at AEW now that Cody has returned to WWE. <clears throat> Great stuff coming up with the legendary Dustin Rhodes. And if you haven't booked your cabin yet for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at C4 Leaf Clover, you still got time. There are cabins left at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We set sail February 2nd for the first time ever. We're going to our own private island at Great Stirrup K. And it's going to be amazing. Come hang with me. It's a pretty stacked lineup of talent. We just announced a whole gaggle of AEW talent over the last few days, including the acclaimed Nyla Rose, Vicky Guerrero, as well as Phoenix, uh, the Lucha Brothers, Phoenix and Penta, Zero Miedo. Uh, we got uh, Ricky Starks, Top Flight, Darius joining his brother Dante Martin, Christopher Daniels, Chaos Project, Aubrey, Ed- Aubrey Edwards, Swerve Strickland, uh, so many huge, huge stars coming to join us. Jade Cargill, of course. You can go find the entire lineup at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We're also going to figure out who the first ever Jericho Cruise Oceanic Champion is. ChrisJerichoCruise.com, still cabins available. All right, and speaking of music and Fozzie, we are headed to Australia next week. We are super stoked and excited for that. We haven't been to Australia uh, since 2018. It's going to be a huge whirlwind tour uh, four gigs in five days, starting November 30th in Brisbane, December 2nd in Melbourne, December 3rd in Sydney, and December 4th in Adelaide. So go get ready for that. It's going to be a rock and roll party for sure. Come and join us uh, as we tear down the house in Australia. And of course, we're hitting the States again uh, in March. Lots of great stuff coming up, but most importantly, right here, right now, it's the return of Dustin Rhodes on Talk is Jericho. 
right here on the night before Thanksgiving. A few months ago, I was reading Twitter and I saw Dustin Rhodes was talking about chupacabras. And uh, you had mentioned a few things. We'll discuss that. And I was like, oh, we need to talk about chupacabras with, uh, with Dustin because you've seen some, had encounters with some. And, and just, to, just to first explain, the chupacabra, which means, uh, I think it means like a, a sucker, a blood sucker, goat sucker. It's goat sucker. Goat I sucker, think, right? Yeah, it's a Mexican blood sucker in Mexico. Okay. So, and you live in Texas. And yeah. There's lots of sightings of these chupacabras in Texas. So what, what do you there know is. about it? Go ahead. So on Thanksgiving, we always get together as a family. We have a little trailer and uh, side by side, and we set little fires because we live out and we own. My sister owns the whole cove basically, and we can drive around at little stops. So we made little fires for each little stop, and we have like some s'mores and all that, you know. And we try to scare them, all that kind of stuff. So we went out and made the fires, and the golf carts are coming. We can hear them, so we're waiting. I'm jumping in a tree because we like to scare the kids as they come come by, you know, because there's a whole uh, trailer load of kids. So they come to the first spot, they come to the second, and I'm sitting over there and we're lighting a fire towards the end of the um, the end of the track there around the cove. And there's a little cave that goes down, a little alcove when you follow it down towards the lake. And we do a lot of hunting there. And uh, it's perfect the way we've set it up and everything. So I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. I'm listening to them. They're probably a half a mile away because it's it's a pretty big cove. And I hear this noise over in the in the trees, and I'm like, "What the hell is that, man?" And I I know deer sounds, I know bear sounds, I know all the you know basic sounds, coyotes, all that. And all of a sudden, I I seen it kind of run by and dart it. So I shine the spotlight over there on it, and it saw me. I was like, "I think that's a chupacabra." So I went after it, right? And it's pretty, they get pretty big. They get about five foot when they're standing on their hind feet. And I followed it, and I was watching it run down, and they kind of look like a cross of a, a real rabid coyote, but bigger. And their, their two front bottom teeth come up kind of like, uh, like a vampire, right? They don't have the two top ones, but the two bottom fangs stick way up. That's what kind of puts out the chupacabras. So I get down to the cave, and I, I cornered him, and that's the wrong thing to do. And I found that out the first time. If you watch Jurassic Park in that first movie where the guy wrecks his Jeep and that thing that fans out, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? It made that same kind of noise, and it hissed at me, and it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of me, and I just kind of backed out of there, man. He stood on his two hind legs and just made this evil noise that was just horrifying. So I ran back up and I was telling everybody about it, and they're like, "You didn't see no chupacabra, yeah, yeah, I did." So what, what, like, what color was it? It was like a gray and black, not striped, but you know, just real mangy looking. They look really mangy and like, like rabid. Because sometimes they say that it could just be a coyote with mange, right? Like, which a mange, mange, it's like some kind of a parasite that basically eats. The fur, it's fur, and their skin, and all that. Yeah, yeah. So, but you're, it wasn't, uh, wasn't that a coyote with mange? Was not a coyote, man. And it stood on its back hind legs, like that's... Bigfoot or something. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me! And I had it cornered, and that's the wrong thing to do. And I did not have any firearms on me or anything. And it's, you know, we're here for the kids. We're lighting fires, having s'mores, and doing all that. But I wanted to see it up close, and mm. I got a really up close view of it, and it scared me. So when it went on its hind legs, you just took off running? I just kind of backed out of there, you know? It's like like a rattlesnake. You just kind of walk away from it and get away from it before it strikes you. And they can only do half the size of their body. If it's a six-foot snake, they can only strike three foot. Hmm. So you just kind of back out of there. That's what I did, and I went back up the hill. But once I started getting up the hill, I kind of ran back. And I was like, Jesus. And my heart was pounding. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> So have you told anybody that story before? Like A couple people, like, you know, the neighbors and stuff like that. And they see them all the time, they say. So it's it's uh that's the first time my first encounter with a an actual chupacabra though. That's unbelievable because like you said you, most people go oh come on it wasn't but you're talking to me as as straight as you can and you're and you, the reason that you believe it is cuz it jumped up on its hind legs. Yes, that's the only reason and it hissed at me and he, I saw the two front fangs and I've seen pictures of them now and people have caught pictures of them some of them are phony and fake but i've seen the real one and, and and it looks a lot like them and they have a 
a place in Odessa, Texas, I think at one of the agricultural centers there or whatever, of a stuffed one. And it's like, that's, that can't be real, but it is. What do you think it is? It's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, a dog, coyote, mix, something, but with these big fangs. You know, it's interesting because this happens from time to time where they'll find new species and even there's a, there's a form of a rhino that they have found before that they didn't think existed. There's coelacanths, which are prehistoric fish. They thought it had been gone for millions of years. They caught one just 50 years ago. So who's to say it's not some sort of, you know, untapped species that we had no idea about? It could be a reptilian that came up from the earth. It's crust, you know? I mean, you, you got aliens and reptilians that have been here forever. So they say. <laughs> You got to go put your paint on and go back out there and scare the shit back out of it. I don't know about that, man. That thing scared me to death. Wow. And that's the only, that's, did you say you had two? Uh, just the one, really, that gotcha. was up close like that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, there you go. Documented sighting of a chupacabra uh, and a great way to start uh, a show. We've been meaning to talk for a while yeah. about this. Yeah. And we were going to talk also about some of your favorite matches because we had, the reason why this spurred, spurred, my, my memory job my memory is that we were talked a few weeks ago about how you're coming up on your 35th year in the business and besides besides you and sting i have the most experience here but you have more you're one of one of the few that's been in the business longer than i have we're all there together all yeah. there together but, yeah. but a couple of years before so i was just thinking like 35 years and you've had such a, a career resurgence over the last few years since you came to AEW and you know, people always ask me, like, what's your favorite match? And I always have, like, a bunch in my head, but I always kind of enjoy talking about them, and I thought maybe we could do the same sure. with you. Sure, sure. And another thing that I was, I mean, we could just kick it right off, because I just read a book, it's a great book, about Davy Boy and Dynamite, the British Bulldogs. Yeah. And the whole story of their lives and their separate lives together, and talked about the Hart Foundation, uh, the five of them, when it was Brett, Anvil, Owen. Yeah, uh, Dynamite. And- Davy and yeah. Pillman. Pillman, yeah. And okay. they had one of the greatest matches and one of the greatest shows, Canadian Stampede. You know, everyone remembers that show and that match, but they forget a lot of times who the opponents were. And one of those opponents was you. Yes, yes. Shamrock, Dustin. Austin. Austin. And the Road Warriors. Road Warriors. Legion of Doom. Yeah, yeah. So kind of tell me about that match. I watched it back, and the, the, the crowd was just so crazy. And just the whole so, thing. like... You've been in many arenas, right? And you've heard all kinds of reactions. This has to rank up there with one of the loudest moments I've ever been or witnessed inside the ring. And, of course, um, they're the heels and we're the baby faces. And it's switched immediately. It's like, no, they love the heart foundation. They love the hearts here in this corner. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to be selling our asses off. Here we go. And we all did our little piece of business. But the whole match, it was just, it's the loudest. It has to be. Like, from when I used to watch Dad and or the Rock and Roll and Midnight Express in the Charlotte Coliseum, the old Charlotte Coliseum, that was, like, some of the loudest matches I've ever heard because every girl was screaming for the Rock and Roll right, Express, right. right? It was like that, man. That saddle dump, what is it called? Saddle, saddle dump, right? Yeah. Loud, the acoustics in there were just perfect, and it was sold out, man, just crazy. They built up for that match. It was such a wonderful part to be a, a, in a piece of that, you know. Well, because I think that's when that's when uh, Brett and the guys were doing. They were baby, they were heels, unless they were in Canada. Unless in they were in Canada, they'd be baby faces, right? Absolutely, but we had no idea the reactions were going to be that that big. That big. It was like no. You are not. You are not the baby faces. These guys are the baby faces. And like, okay, well, shit, we we got to switch it on the fly. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. You no, know, kidding, yeah. just kind of go with it. How how was that team put together? Because obviously the Harvard Nation, there's five. Do you do you remember? Like, I know a lot of, a lot of that might be a little bit shady memories from from that time frame for you too. But it was such kind of a ragtag collection of guys. Was there an angle for it, or that's? So you're the guys that to be changed. honest with you, I, I'd, I'd have to really look at it and go back because I can't remember mm-hmm. a lot of things that happened. But I do remember that match, and I just don't remember what led us up to that. Do you remember putting putting the match together? Kind of. Kind of. You know, it's a lot of, okay, I'll do this to you and you do this to me type stuff. We really didn't have much of a structure. We just went out and had fun. It's like the old days when you just go out there and have fun and, and call stuff. And today, they don't do that, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're you mm-hmm. or you know if you and i were working we would just know the finish and you know it's yeah. it 
That's something I like. We should go out and react. That's something I like working with Eddie Kingston. Is we we called a couple things back here, but I did a lot of it out there. And that's that, where the magic. That's happens. a freedom, right? Yeah. Yes. You go out there in different different towns, different arenas, right? And you have a, a set match that you're usually doing or whatever. It might not work in New York City as opposed to Philadelphia. And it's like you got to switch it up. You got to be able to be able to switch it up on the fly like that and make things work. These crowds are different. Deep South is a little different than the North. Yeah, I remember too. The there was it was such a great spot there where I think at the end of the match, Steve gets into like a little bit of pushing match with Stu, and then he gets arrested. Yeah, I remember that. He's I remember that. Out, he was sitting on the front row. Behind his back I think hand Bruce hand. was there too, right? They, all of them were there. You remember all at the end, them. every yeah. heart got in the ring. Yes. How crazy it was! It was nuts. Yeah, I remember that Steve was, was fun. Was given the finger with the handcuffs behind his back at that point in time. You know, it's good shit. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly seven hundred and fifty dollars on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. What was it like working with, like, for example, with, with Brett? And what was it like working with Owen? Did you work with them quite a bit? I worked with Owen a few times. I worked with Brett a few times. Uh, Brett, so easy, you know. I mean, just really basic and very easy, but just we had moments, right? And we knew when to take those moments and let things breathe instead of going to the next thing. And it was pretty simple, pretty simple stuff. But I, I swear to God, man, that stuff still works today if you utilize it. And it's a lot of basic stuff. And there's not a lot of dives and things like that, right? We just heat come back shine you know stuff like that and it worked mm -hmm. and brett was one of those that can make things work like that same with owen but owen was more of the jokester you know and you're in a live, live event and you've been on the road for 10 days and we're just having fun and he's just you know trying to rib me in the ring or something <laughs> you know and trying to break me or, or crack me a little bit and you're having fun it's he was one of those that just always everybody loved him he was the jokester, and you always got along with Owen, man. It was just, he was such a good kid to be around, mm -hmm. right? All of them were. Brett, too, man. I love being around Brett. One of the best. It's crazy, too, when you think about that. Out of those ten, <clears throat> 10 guys, I think there's only four of you guys that are still still with us because both Road Warriors are gone, and all four of the Heart Foundation, Brett's the last one when you see that. I think right now, like you, me, Brett, you could say you know, staying like we're the kind of the last of our kind mm -hmm. right and you have all these new kids and do they listen sometimes you know but it's like if you're a big fan of pro wrestling you're you're always studying you're always watching the past because hey man without the new you know without the old school there is no new school right mm -hmm. so you just that's how you grow mm -hmm. right it's progress and you take a couple things that you've never tried before like for me personally, and then that sticks out in their mind. Well, Dustin did a Canadian Destroyer. Why would he do that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just did it, but that kept me alive for another month or two. And it's like, wow, man, he's 50 and he's doing this. It's whatever I can hold on to to like grow my personal brand mm -hmm. and make it better and stay in the best shape that I can. But That's it. it. Smart and do, do things thing. smartly. But it's smart to do that. Like you talk about the Canadian Destroyer. And I remember when you first started doing it, and why wouldn't you do it? Because it's like, why would you just want to do the same moves always? But when you do something you like that, like you said, it stands out. And it's like, oh, my gosh, he's still, it's like Sting jumping off the freaking tunnel. Yeah, and it's like, why does he do, he doesn't have to do that. No, no, he does have to do that. And you have to do that. And I have to do it because that's how we are as performers and as athletes and as professionals. We have to keep pushing, pushing the boundaries, right? Have to. Yeah. If you get complacent, you're going to be dead in the water. Mm -hmm. And it's happened a bunch to me. And I, and I got to like go back to ground zero and say, look, what can I do to bring some life back into my character? Whatever. If it was gold dust, if it's dust in here or whatever it is, I need something. I need a spark. But you also, 
a person has to be willing to do it with you, you know, and it takes two like it always does. Mm-hmm. Can't just go out there and have a match with myself. I could, but it would be terrible. <laughs> you need two people to make this dance and the magic happen. And I think that, you know, my later years now at 53, if I slip up and they see it, you know, they're all over it. And they're the 10 loudest on, on social media, but they stick with me. And it's like, man, maybe I do need to retire. Mm. So it's really in the back of my head, I cannot go out there and mess up. And when I do, it's like, hopefully I mess up really professionally and they see it or they don't, they don't catch it because I cover it so well. And it's like, well, I'm glad they didn't catch that one because they would definitely be eating me up, you know? I've had that. I did a, a, I've done lion salt. I don't know, probably here a hundred times in my career. I don't know, a thousand maybe. And a couple of years ago here in AW, when we were doing Jacksonville, I slipped and I barely made the rotation. But you would have thought, like, okay, Jericho needs to go. He needs to retire. He needs to quit. And it's like, it happens. You know, Wayne Gretzky misses the net sometimes when he takes a slap shot. It, yeah. But, but, but what you said, as you get older, then suddenly you're too old. If you have a great match, you're a physical wonder. Look at this guy. Like Dustin Rose, he's, he's better than he's ever been. But if you miss one thing, oh, he's too old. Get him out of the game. It's hard because I know you've had issues in the past with mental health and, and all the stuff we've, we've been through. Does that bother you when you read that on social media? Does it stick in your head? No, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very open about it. And everybody knows my dark times that I went through and stuff. And I survived and came out the other end and then sticking to my guns, you know. So I've accepted it. Nobody really... It's more of an inspiration because on social media, I try to be I try to be more inspirational now yeah. because there's so much conflict and so much drama Negativity. and crap on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm not posting about a match or something like that, it's only like inspirational stuff, and I think that has done me well, and and it's probably helped a few people along the way. So, I think so. hey, man, that's whatever. That's great. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the <clears throat> matches that you that you appreciate that, that stick out for you. We've, you and I have talked about the Cody match. So that's that's really up there as, as one of well, I don't of the, know if we really have spoke about it on, on the record before. Let's talk about that because that was still one of the best matches in, in our company's history. And it was early, early on, maybe the first pay-per-view or second yeah, pay-per-view, something first, like that. First. How was that working against your brother? And let's kind of go into that because it was all-time classic for sure. So a lot of people know because I've talked about it, about me pitching to Vince constantly, you know, like six years in a row that I wanted to work my brother on WrestleMania. And to be honest with you, you know, they, they just said it wasn't good enough to be on in that, that position. We had a match at fast lane with stardust versus gold dust. And it was terrible. It was awful. The finish came off a little awkward because his shoulder came up and there was a three count and it just, it was bad. And it, you know, it wasn't in Cody's heart. It really wasn't in my heart, you know, so you kind of you, you go through it and then I leave and I come here and it's like this opportunity opens up to have this WrestleMania moment on double or nothing. Our first pay-per-view, you know, um, let's 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 give it all we got. And, and it was a two promo bill that I mean, I think the story was already there. It was already built up over the years because I I'd expressed it that I wanted this match. And now it was, hey, we need to deliver it. And him coming out and, and me being from WWE and not knowing this crowd, if they're going to react to me in a good way, because it's more of an independent kind of crowd that mm-hmm. have come together for this new revolution. And uh, they responded to him, and I knew he was over, right? And it was great. He's doing the best work in, in his career. And he hit the throne, man, and the whole thing towards hunter and the, you know the the big throne with the sledgehammer and all that stuff and then my music hit and they responded in kind and i was like because i was really nervous i was 50 i hadn't worked in several months and i was just like man i'm gonna blow up i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that and i walked down and as soon as you leave you know like if you stand at the and i still get nervous at the stairs right and then so as soon as I. you walk through the tunnel man it just kind of it goes away and everybody just kind of disappears. And I got in the ring, and we just stood there, and I, we stared at each other, right, with the announcements. And it had the big fight feel, to me at least. And then I pointed up, you know, and it was a real emotional moment. And I could see it in Cody's eyes, and it was for me definitely. And they started chanting Dad's name. So I knew he was there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you can see everybody in the audience, but you can't see them. 
right? And you can hear them, but you can't hear them. You're so laser focused on what the job is and what needs to be done. And we just, we went through it and we could have missed a thousand things in that match or botched a thousand things and it wouldn't have mattered. It was just like the stars aligned for that match. And we just went through it and there was more emotion, more investment in the audience, man. And they, they felt everything. And we took them on that ride and we told a nice little story with it. And they were crying, grown men in there crying. I was crying. Everybody was crying, man. It's like these hard ass men in the audience are crying. (laughs) That's what I want to do, right? I want to invoke that emotion from somebody. And I tell the kids in my my class right now all the time, it's not about the movesets that you do out there or what you say to the audience. It's how you make them feel. It's the story. If you can make them feel something, they're not turning the channel. And that's what we want, right? They're going to come back for it. And they were there that night. The stars aligned, and it was damn near perfection. And it was a good feeling that, you know, I had that behind me. I lost so much blood that night, and I was really kind of messed up with that, with Dizzy and everything. And I was getting dizzy in the match. I was giving a superplex off the top, and we almost teetered. I was like, we got to go now. So I went, and we made it. Otherwise, if I would have waited another second, we would have ended up, like, on the ropes. So you really felt it. I felt it big time. I lost the most blood. I'd been out of practice, you know, it'd been a long time. And you don't, we're not allowed to do that up there. Right. And it's like, all right, let's do this. But we made it work. And it was, it is the funnest time I've ever been in a wrestling ring. I know Cody, he's got some other matches that he likes more than this one. But for me, that was tops. There's some great ones out there, you know, but that was the one that really stood tall. And you still know, stands. You know, you know what's great to me? Like, cause I remember, it was a two promo build, and I think it was based. What was it even based around? Who's the better Rhodes, or what, what was your basic? Cody was like killing the Attitude Era, so oh, he was okay. killing the old, you know, and bringing out the new, the new yeah. Dustin or whatever, you know. It was. But like Pat always used to tell me, like, like even for this weekend with with Brian Danielson and I, it's like there's really not anything more we we should we need to do. The match is made. You know, there's certain matches that the match is there. You don't have to do a heat angle or, you know, a couple promos, whatever the hell we've been doing, but everyone wants to see it. And it was the same with, with, with Cody versus Dustin. And the best part was after with Cody's speech where he said, I can't remember the exact words, but I don't need a opponent or I need, I need a brother. I need whatever. What was that? What did he say again? He said, uh, I don't need a partner. I need a brother or something. Was I don't it? need, I need my brother. Right. I don't right. need a partner. I need like my the, brother like for the brothers. big, you know, the young bucks for the fight for the fallen for the second one. Yeah. And it was a throwback from what dad said to me in the ring. One of dad's greatest promos he had, not the hard times promo, but it was like Arn had turned on me and it, it was a throwback from that. I don't, I don't need another partner. I don't need this. I need my son. And it was an emotional moment. So he did the little throwback to that and they gotcha. felt it. It was so good, man. So good. It was, it was, uh, I'm just I'm I'm glad that that thing is over. I could never duplicate that ever again. You know, they, they everybody's like saying, "Man, you guys need to have a a second match." And it's like, no, I'm yeah. not. I'm not touching that. I can't because it it won't live up to the expectations. I don't know if you ever follow this or not, but but it was given five stars, a five star rating uh, by Meltzer, which is very hard to get. Yeah, I think you were the oldest. It actually made me mad because I was the oldest guy to have a five star match with Kenny at the Tokyo Dome until you got it. So you got the record. <laughs> I, I think this is my first five stars. So it was yeah. like, or, you know, and what, 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 listen, we know in our hearts if it's a five star or whatever, but I'm just saying it was critically acclaimed is the point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I remember talking to Dave that night in the scrum and it was, uh, it was pretty cool seeing him there because me and Meltzer, like early on, I, I don't know. It's like, you know, all the guys talk about, man, you don't need to be talking to Meltzer. You don't need to be doing this. or right. So you kind of just had this vision of Meltzer as being this evil, evil. character, right? <laughs> yeah. But then I got to like talk to him and know him a little differently, and I thought differently of him. And it's he's been around a, lo- a long time, and he's seen a lot of good stuff. Whether he's biased or not on certain things, that's fine. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't yeah, well, matter. But it was cool to, to receive a five-star from it. Because it, it was a classic. That's yeah. why. All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Ha-ha. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish 
and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how did you feel when Cody left AEW and went back, back to WWE? Kind of down a little bit. It was, uh, but you know, Cody's, he's still young. It's, I mean, we, there's such an age gap, 16 years. So now it, he's kind of in his prime now. And But watching him return on WrestleMania was just huge. And, yeah. you know, I'm not going to miss any of his stuff. And he's on the rise to become a champion, you know? And I, I really think he's... Sp- set the tone for that in his last uh, eight years of work and, and things that he's done and it's built up. He's very professional. He's very different than I am. We're two completely opposite people. I mean, he has that, that creative mind like my dad had, you know, and I'm more the, I'm more the grunt, the worker in the, in the family, mm-hmm. but he is like surpassing everything. He's, he's doing amazing. It's great, man. But um, yeah, I wish he was still here. Yeah. You know? I, I get a text from, Actually, quite frequently, and he always says, "I miss you guys, man. I miss you guys." And I do miss having him around. You know, I do. He was, he's, you know, he's. I got much closer with him for obvious reasons in AEW than I ever was in WWE. But I still always had a connection with him in WWE as well. Yeah, you know? he yeah. Just always was the type of guy I like. I like that guy. So, all right. So that's another classic for you. What, what other ones stand out for you that, that, that you wanted to talk about? 2014, we had a nice story build. You know, Cody lost his job and. We're trying to win Cody's job back by facing the Shield, and we gave them their first lost loss, and it, and the the crowd was just nuts, man. And it was such a good match that we brought it back for the pay per view the next weekend and beat them for the titles. I mean, it was it's lightning, and we went we went on the the road with them, Europe, all that stuff, having these barn burner 25 minute matches every night me selling giving cody the tag him coming boom 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 and seth has a really creative mind of putting these intricate finishes together right just long elaborated japanese finishes Mm. you know you got like 15 minutes of finishes right (laughs) but they all make sense and you have moments in between all these things and that's what makes them so great and they were just some of the funnest matches I've ever had. I mean, the Shield, working with Roman, even even uh, Mox, and but uh, Seth is unreal. Yeah, no, he, he is so much fun. I liked working so with all fun. those guys when yeah. I was there. You know, was that the one that Dusty was involved in as well? Yes. Yeah, he was down there, and he was like, he took his belt off and was whipping Ambrose. You know, and it was <laughs> it, it, it was magical. It's one of those magical nights. Another one was. Um, uh, of course, Roddy Piper. That was. Uh, I love that match. It was. It was fun. It was. Let's talk really about fun. that. Let's talk yeah. in detail about that because okay. I think a lot of people forget as time goes on. It happens. It happens. Just like obviously Piper was a great talker, and what they forget sometimes is when he was hot and when he was on, he was a great worker too. Yes. Maybe not so much in the later years, but Roddy Piper in that match was the Roddy Piper that we all admired. He was. Um, so. I don't find out because I'm supposed to wrestle Razor Ramon, right, From in a Miami street fight via satellite. For WrestleMania. Yes. And this is when Goldust is super hot, but as a heel. Yes. Almost the kind of the transgender type of a cross-dresser yes. type guy at times. Yeah. Very freaky. I, I think they said androgynous. Androgynous, and right. Vince said that the first time when he presented that character to me, I was just agreeing with him. I had no idea what the hell that meant until we <laughs> hung up the phone and I looked in the dictionary and I went, what did I just sign up for? How did he pitch it? 
Well, he's like, yeah, this androgynous character. And he, he mentioned Adrian Street, Adrian Adonis. So I remember them and how they presented their characters and things like that. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. So just this flamboyant person, right? That's what I thought androgynous meant, mm-hmm. was flamboyant. And it's a little different than that. Yeah. But he presented that, you know, and I, I, I sunk my teeth into it. And it took me a good six months up there to try to figure out because I didn't want to touch on the over the line kind of homosexuality type thing yeah yeah I did not want to do that and Savio talked me into it one night and we were in the garden and I was so nervous because Vince was there this was when he was at the curtain a lot watching the matches right he, he would just come the, on the he, road he used it as a barometer yes who was over because his dad used to do that so Vince was always watching if you had a stinker of the garden or didn't get a reaction you were screwed Yes. And conversely, if you had a great match and got a great reaction, that would really help your case for all across it the would, world. It would, but I liked it when he was on the road and it wasn't a TV setting, right? Yeah. It was just a house show. Yeah. And he would show up and it was like, he was at a curtain. I'm like, Vince is here. What if I do this? He's going to get, I'm going to get fired or whatever. And Savio was like, no, man, come on, let's do this. And it was just a simple go behind him, rub up his chest and down his legs, kind of not grazing as, you know. Yeah, yeah. And he turning around and he charging me and me taking a powder and they went nuts and they called me every name in the book and that's the first giant reaction that i've gotten i was like okay that worked i need to stay away from these rails because they are reaching hard at me man it was so before it's time and i was like inside and i look at savio back in the ring and he's laughing and i'm like god damn it man and i, I roll in there i'm like we lock up, and he takes me back to the corner and said, we're going to do it again. Turn me around. And I'm like, what are we doing, man? Turn me around. And he said, turn around and stick your ass in my crotch and rub it back, you know, just kind of rub it around. And I did it, and he pushed me away, and I took another powder, and they came again. And I was just like, he was set. Yeah. And it was easy. But I was really scared to do that. That was something that, like, was way out of my wheelhouse i mean you know that's kind of you're such you're such a laid-back guy it's interesting to me that vince saw that character in you you know what i mean like that 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 like you said that is a very flamboyant over-the-top character but he knew you could play that it's it's interesting to me knowing you as a person where he would have seen that a lot of people say hey you know they're like is vince ribbon dab by putting the polka dots on him you know and i i had that in the back of my head too is he ribbing me for this but at that point, it was like, you know, I'd been trying to follow in my dad's footsteps for so long. And it was like, it's not working, man. I got to get a, I have to do something else. And we had a falling out, which was the worst thing, worst decision of my life ever. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you need, you got one dad, right. one mom. So it's, it's good to like work things out. Right. And, but we were in that downtime where we weren't speaking to each other, and Vince had just called me, and he presented that, and I said yes. And I remember my dad, dad's reaction. He told me about it. And Cody was little, and he's sitting there playing with his action figures, and they're watching Raw, and I, here I come. <laughs> and Cody, Cody tells a story that he looked back at, at dad's face, and dad's face was just like, what he didn't know <laughs> yeah he didn't know and now his son is dressed up like this right and said running the roads name or the legacy i don't look at it that way i just look at it as me stepping into my own shoes oh, and trying to do something on my own and did it yeah. and it, it worked and got over and you know it went through a lot of uh transitions and different character switch-ups and changes and when he took away the over-the-line stuff because it was pretty pretty harsh uh, towards the the end of it, or like around 98, 99, he started pulling it back a little bit, and I couldn't understand why. And But I was young still, right? I was just like 26 years old or whatever, and I was like, I, I couldn't understand why he was doing this. It's so over right now. Why are you doing this? So it's like we need to do something else. So I had pitched the, um, the artist formerly known as Goldust and brought in Luna. And I suggested Luna because Luna fit that man. And I knew Luna and she was great. And it worked a little bit, but that just gave, gave it a little more, you know, Goldust, a different side of Goldust. You know, this, now he's just a freak. Mm-hmm. Now he's just this creepy freak. Just will do anything. Right. And everybody saw that I would do anything and I would, I would do anything to, to continue getting this, try to get this character over. Cause I love wrestling. 
I want to make whatever I have work because this is all I know, man. This is all I've ever wanted to do. And it's like, hey, man, let's let's find a way to make this work. And then it became after that that Goldust was no longer hated, that they just kind of fell in love with the character wherever I went. And you do a little bit of the mannerisms or whatever, and they remember that. And that's where it kind of went from there, right? And it's like... I didn't like wearing the wig anymore, you know, and stuff like that, and got rid of the wig and the robe stuff, and every once in a while I would wear it, but it just, I hated wearing it after that. You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers, and you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter, because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom, Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I got to deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses, like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, so that's kind of the whole background of the character, which is great. And that leads us back to the Piper match we were talking about. Oh, no, it's goodness. I wanted to hear that. You were saying that it was originally going to be a Miami Street fight with Razor Ramon. Yes, and I know there was some uh, office turmoil between him and whatever. And I know he didn't really like working with the Goldust character and, and things like that. Interesting. I don't know why. Gotcha. I really don't. But for whatever reasons, um, he left. So, they, you know, we're there like uh, two weeks before WrestleMania or three weeks before WrestleMania. Said, you're going to be on a plane tomorrow morning with Vince and Bruce Pritchard, you and Roddy Piper. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing, you know? We get to L.A. and we go eat at uh, some famous restaurant and we start discussing what we're doing. And I'm, this is the first time I'm hearing about it. And then we head over to Universal Studios, one of the back lots there. And they have this brand new white Bronco that was the same year and everything as the <laughs> O.J. Simpson stuff, right? Yeah. And I'm looking and I'm like, okay, this is, and he explained this is a back lot brawl. So it's just a basic fight. And, you know, what he wanted at the end was me driving off roddy to move when i drove right and you know roddy didn't decide to do that so and i had this spray painted old cadillac and he got a brand new bronco which he asked vince for and he gave it to him and right and i'm wondering where this gold cadillac is it's got to be in the vault up there somewhere <laughs> oh he gave roddy the, the <clears throat> yeah the bronco yeah and you, you had to return yours <laughs> yeah so we get ready to do this and they brought in all these extras right and they're cheering for me which is really weird but they're just extras mm -hmm. you know these uh actors or whatever the extra stuff and they have these tables set up and i'm supposed to drive in and i vince let me get in the car and kind of spin out a little bit trying to figure it out to come around the corner it didn't work when we we shot live it just kind of stopped and i started revving it up and started pulling forward and he turns on the this big giant fire hose sprinkler and he's spraying it right like i can't see or whatever start driving forward i stop and he picks up a baseball bat and he starts bashing the glass and it came on this side right here and he bashed it in and we got cut up from it so i crawled out the other side and he started kicking my ass and i got one piece of offense in this and that was a nut shot just a low blow and i wanted to get juice in this and vince didn't want it at all so i asked roddy to bust me open the hard way and you'd think a veteran of his stature would know how to do that, right? So he gets me on top of the hood, and I said, okay, go, go, go. And he hits me square in the forehead so hard, right? And I'm feeling, and there's nothing else. Do it again. He hits me again, and he breaks his hand. He broke wow. his hand on my head, and you can see it on the second shot to the forehead. 
And I had a bad concussion from that because he threw me in this big trash can, but he broke his hand. There was blood on us from the glass and all that, the baseball bat he would hit. But he, him being an actor, he knew how to swing it. Right. But, but you're, you're in the heat of the moment, and this is a one-take thing. We can't reshoot this, right? So it's like, okay, we get to here now. You throw me into the trash can. Now I'm on the floor. You throw me at a table with all this catering food or whatever. And then there's my shot, right? And I there's my uppercut. And I get in the car, and he rolls kind of backwards by his Bronco. And I'm supposed to clip the Bronco and then drive off as he gets out of the way. It didn't work like that. So I revved up, and I'm watching Roddy, right? And I'm looking at the Bronco, and it's too close for me to do this and that. And I'm looking at his eyes, and I'm like, please move, please move. So I started going a little faster, and his <laughs> eyes just got really bright. And I'm like, move, move, move. And I keep going. And all of a sudden, he jumped up at the last second. His knees went boom, boom. And he landed on top of the hood, and he's holding me. He's looking at me at a deer in the headlights. And I'm looking at him I'm like, get off the car. <laughs> Get off the car. I thought I just ran over and killed Roddy Piper, right? Because I hurt his knees and they hit hard. Right. Was he trying to do that? I think he wanted to do that. Yeah, Yeah, right. Just because he's a stuntman in Hollywood. He's done that kind of stuff, right? right? right. So he finally rolls off and I drive around the block and we stop take, right? He gets in the the Bronco and, and chases me, right? But in the meantime, when I hit him and I cut the corner, I, I knocked a, a, a dumpster. It started rolling to the head, the vice president of uh, Universal Studios, <laughs> Rolls Royce. And the cameraman is oh, like is holding great. the trash can while he's filming me, right? So he keeps the Rolls Royce from getting hit. Right. We drive off and we come back and all the extras are there. And I'm, I'm treating it like a shoot. And Roddy's up in the bathroom. Right. And I'm watching it back with Vince right there. And they're like, great job. And I'm cussing him. Shut the f*** up. This, this shit ain't... You know, I'm being kayfabe like yeah. a like yeah. a million dollars, off, man. Right? I just yeah. really, and it, it was so good. I went upstairs, and and Vince and Bruce, they took us to the hospital. They're sitting in the hospital, and Vince is on a payphone while I'm waiting my time, and and Roddy's getting his hand wrapped up and all that, and I go in, getting a lot of you know gimmicks and and things, and it was like, I have a concussion. We get in the car, we go go to the, right, we go get some beer. Get some Go back supplies. to the hotel, we fly out, and then two weeks later or three weeks later is WrestleMania. They have our cars there parked in the parking lot covered up, right? So two days before WrestleMania, we have, like, rehearsals and stuff, and I go up to Vince and I say, hey, because we weren't wanting to put the Intercontinental title on him, but we also we weren't wanting to beat him either, you know? So it was like, how can we get out of this finish? So I suggested, hey, man, what if I, what if he pulls my suit off and I had lingerie underneath my, my suit, right? He's like, oh, God, that's, that's a good idea. So me and Terry, we went to the Fredericks of Hollywood on whatever. Uh, Melrose. Ro- yeah, Melrose Drive or whatever. And, and I, I said, let me try that on, right? And I put a couple things, okay, this works. And I had the garters and everything underneath, right? And it was like such weird stuff. But I was just, you know, really thinking outside the box, how can we make this better? And then they plugged it in, and we started the, the fight scene. The rest that came in WrestleMania day. They started the fight scene. Then they went to a match. Then they came back, and they see the plugged-in O.J. Simpson chase scene, right? It wasn't actually Roddy. It was the O.J. scene, right? And then they go to another match, and they come back. Oh, my God. And the announcers are talking, are they coming to the pond? Are they coming to Arrowhead Pond? It looks like they're heading this way, right? Right. And, you know, finally it gets time for us, and we're sitting in the back of the parking lot. I think Kasama was the one who gave us the cue to go. I think she was there. And I'm supposed to drive through the barricade, right? And then Roddy's supposed to give me a count of five before he comes down. And the time I get down there and I open the door and get out, he slams into my door. So it, it didn't work like that, right? So I bust, he said, go, right? And the cameras are on us and I bust through the barricade. He's right on me. And I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I go down that little ramp at the pond, right? And I open the door, but he's so close to me, right? I open it and it's slung back. And he just whoosh, right into the side of the door. So I crawl out the other side and I run inside and it's when they had the tunnel entrance. Right. 
and I'm right there, right at the tunnel, and Terry's there, Marlena's right there, and she's like, ah, and here he comes screaming and yelling and finding me. So I start backing out of the tunnel, and as soon as I enter, man, they just went, right, just this huge boo, and I start backing up, and his music, he had his bagpipes, and it was deafening, man. It was, it was so cool. It was like, oh, and I'm just backing up, doing the whole thing, and we get back there, and we start our little fight, and he finally tears off all my stuff. It was just, oh my God, it's magic, right? That was and that the really he tears off your clothes. He and- tears off my clothes, and I roll out, and, and Terry covers me up, right? And his son comes in the ring, and it's kind of the end of the match, like, like a count out or like yeah. a non finish. Yeah, <laughs> in Vince's mind, that's a finish. Damn and it. afterwards, I took my suit off and I gave it to his son, and it was all kind of ripped up and all that. And I talked to him years later; he still has it. He said, "Cool, that's cool, yeah, cool, yeah." So that's kind of that's kind of neat. It was a quite the experience it's, but i had to do the same kind of makeup because you know we had three weeks earlier we had to take pictures of it to make sure in the blood certain things mm-hmm. i couldn't wash it all that kind of stuff but nobody knew i had that stuff underneath except vince and it was like such a shocking moment and it it really set the gold dust character off at that point and and it was on a run then and it was nice it was really cool it's it's interesting I don't know if you know this but the second stadium stampede was half taped and then the finish was live that was yeah that concept yep. was taken from your match with with roddy same same idea would that be would the roddy match be the first um cinematic match i guess it could be right i can't That's think per- of anything prior maybe unless somebody might have done one in wcw or something maybe back in those days and they were doing a lot of crazy stuff it's pretty cool so yeah. there's been some historical moments yeah. you know right and oh yeah well, there's the another stadium one. stampede. I remember y'all doing that. Yeah, like, we finished it live, which was, I think, Tony got the direct inspiration from your match with Roddy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, another one I want to talk about that I just thought about here, I was just looking up some of your matches online, is we just had our second Blood and Guts, and whenever we have the Blood and Guts, I always watch a couple of the other war games. And another great one that you were involved in was Sting's Squadron, Squadron versus Dangerous Alliance. Alliance, 92, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Russell War, War Games. Yeah, it was 92, that's right. Talk about that from what you recall, because that's going back like 30 years, like you said. That's a long time ago. I think I started that one. Yeah. I think, I think it was me and It was Ricky. Arn? It was Steamboat, Wyndham, Nikita, Dustin, and Austin. Sting versus Rude, Steve Austin, Arn Anderson, Bobby, and Larry. I think you might have started it with Steve. Or did you start it with Arn? I th- I think Steve. Gotcha. gotcha. So we both got some juice. It was a really good moment, man. Yeah. It was fun. It's probably one of the, the funnest matches I've ever been involved in. And to be in a few of those was really cool. And just using both rings, it was it was neat. But me and Austin, man, like when he was really hungry in WCW and I was really hungry, not to not to sway off of this, this no, war no, game please. story. We'd be on the road doing these 25-minute matches, just trying everything we could and really working hard, blowing ourselves up, slugging slugging each other hard, you know, just real snug work. It was so much fun. And I remember one night we were in Phoenix, and it was a fair show. Okay, so they had some of the fair audience come in, and Grizzly Smith was there as our agent, right? And we said, hey, can we go out and get some juice? You know, it's a fair show. But we were just hungry, having fun. Mm-hmm. So we did. We went out there, and I'll never forget it. And I love Lex Luger, right? But we came back, and Lex looked at us like we were just nuts. We're just two boys loving the business, trying to elevate. And you see where he went? You see where Austin went, you know? And I've had a great career. Too. That's right, yeah. And I've done some amazing things, but it was just us wanting to bring and get the most magic and, you know, touch the audience. I think that's what we do as performers is try to make them feel something. And we did, and we always did, and it was really good. And it's like, and this leads to war games, right? And Austin's in there, and here we are, man, two two guys that just want to make this thing better. 
and you're fighting for five minutes before anybody gets in there and everybody starts rolling in. It's such a crazy match, such a, uh, but it was really structured nicely with the, you know, everybody comes in at the, every three minutes or whatever it was, five minutes. So there was always the flip of the coin, you know. You We always lost the odds, so it was like, <laughs> yeah. I think Med, was Medusa in that one when she was on top of the cage and, so, yeah. and Paul Heyman yeah. was, was there. Yeah, each, each had, yeah Throwing the phone you. in and all that kind of stuff. So good, so visually cool, man. But I liked the cage when it was like that With because you could do it. you could do a front atomic and their head would hit the, oh, the middle. It was fairly I low. I did that with Arn a couple times. It was so cool, and it's visually it's really neat. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh shit, he hit his head. Yeah, it's like you couldn't like if you're on the top rope, you couldn't like really jump out. You'd have to duck to do a clothesline because mm-hmm. it was pretty mm-hmm. low, right? Ours here was a lot higher. Oh, it was very high. Yeah. So it's like, uh, but it was it was cool that we could use the top. You could hang on mm-hmm. it and kick somebody or drop kick somebody or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I loved those cages. Was Dusty booking at that time frame in '92? Yes. How was that for you, being the book, the, the proverbial Booker's son? <laughs> you know, back then, my dad, you know, as a lot of dads probably do, that you know, in this situation. You know, he's always, eh, that could have been better or whatever, right? You know, the later years, he was so proud of me, and he said so a lot. But back then, when I'm trying to find my own way, and and he didn't push me to the world title, you know, like, say, Eric Watts. Right. They tried to really push him, and they they didn't bite for that. So he made me work hard for it, which I'm really glad. And, yeah, I got the United States titles and the world tag team titles and all that. But I didn't get any farther than that. I was on my way for that, and then I got let go. But I think he did it the right way, and he made me kind of – he took me to Florida for like a year before that. I was making 20 bucks a night, so I paid my dues. But I was working every night and learning in front of audiences and even small audiences, working every night, though, instead of just in a right. training school. Which is what you need. In the reps. snake pit with, you know, uh, Mike Graham and Steve Kern sweating it out, which we did that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But that's where you learn is on the road, where you learn is in front of people. And by trial and error, you're trying these things. But for me, for the first three, four years, I didn't say a word. Back then, you had 95% of the people could work, right? And everybody else that was green coming in, you just shut up and listen. That was the rules. You shut up, you do what you're told, you listen. And I did that. And you're working with Barry and Arns and Ricky Steamboats and Bobby Eaton's, man. They just, they led you to greatness. Mm-hmm. They made you look good. They yeah. knew what their job was. Whether they did it because it was Dusty's son, I don't know. But they made they made me and they learned me how to work. And, you know, those are my teachers. Mm-hmm. Those are my real teachers in the business. So if I ever make it to the Hall of Fame one day, they're definitely going to be called out as being my teachers. And... I'm just glad, like, steamboats are still around and aren't still here with us. And, you know, as much as the business changed, you know, a lot of the old-timers maybe get a little jaded or whatever about the business and, like, oh, God, you know, this and that. But I think they also understand that there's growth, and it's not oh, 1985 yeah. anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, the smart ones do. Yes. The smart ones do. And they, and they grow with it. You either grow or you get the we did right we we're, the, we're, those, we're those guys now <laughs> that's yeah. true though yeah uh, you mentioned steamboat a few times there's a great one of uh, you and steamboat because you teamed quite a bit versus arn and zabisco i don't know if you remember that specific match but that was a good one well it's the first time we did the car angle the same thing we did with uh jake when he broke my arm in, oh, the, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the car door it was the same we were setup just in that city where was it uh, charleston west virginia yeah just there charleston that, yeah and it was, uh, you put a little piece of board, we pull up in, in my dad's Mercedes, like Barry was driving it, right? And we get out and we start the fight right there and they slam the the door. I think this was the week before or whatever. They slammed the door in Barry's arm. So now I had to find a partner. I had this mysterious partner and he came out in the big dragon suit. Savannah, Georgia, I remember it. And it was in one of those crowds that was loud. When we won the titles that night, it was mm-hmm. it was so loud. And people remember those, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm just going through. I'm just listening to Larry and Arn. Larry, Larry was more the you know. You really had to really kick him in gear for him to want to go and do anything, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But he was so good when he did. When he was working, man, and, and that night was like perfect. And Ricky got that comeback, that hot comeback. Such a reaction when I took the thing off his head, 
and it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, right? If you didn't already know that, right, yeah, dragon, the dragon head, right? Yeah. But it was so cool. And we won the titles that night, and it was just like, wow, this is it's one of those moments, you know, this, that, that stand out. I mean, I've had a lot of them, but not, not like those, you know, like the ones we've mentioned today that really just stand the test of time. And I think Cody, Cody and mine's uh, match will it will go down for at least a decade as being one of the – I really do That's believe awesome. that is one of those that they remember. One of the matches of the year that year. There's another – as we wind down here, there's one more I want to talk about, which is probably your other – greatest aw match which was you and qt versus the butcher and the blade oh jeez. remember that one you forgot about that one didn't yeah, you Yeah, bunkhouse match bunkhouse match remember yeah. how good that was it was good i have forgotten about that <clears throat> until right now i just looked up the best match of dustin Rhodes as we've been talking and i saw this like, i forgot that how good that match was it was a lot of fun i mean we had some gimmicks in there and we had uh <laughs> QT man just came off a 12 foot ladder and it's like his hip was hurting for a month after that yeah. I mean Shawn Michaels would do it like nothing right but mm -hmm. QT came off I remember getting handcuffed this wasn't supposed to happen right because Lee was supposed to come out and help me with the key and I was handcuffed to the corner and Blake came over and hit me and it knocked my balance off I was on the apron and it ripped the handcuff off Oof. and it's it's squeezed my arm so tight so this one piece is on my arm the whole match right and then we go over and we do a big stunt with me and uh butcher into this bed of nice soft landing stuff right but you know it was like ah oh, we should have made it a little bit deeper yeah but whatever and we can make it back to the ring with this all this stuff going on outside bunkhouse i love bunk bunkhouses mat bunkhouse matches or bull rope matches they're fun bunkhouse are more fun just a big street fight with gimmicks farm stuff and, yeah and they put a lot of that you know the, <laughs> yeah. those kind of props out and it was it was kind of cool and then you know we had the finish and it was it was a nice little match I, yeah was that still when we were uh, working in front of no people or did we have people there at that point we had people there yeah we had people yes we had a lot of people at that one it was one of the sellouts i think we had how was it for you working in front of no people it's tough for guys like us you know you look for you need the energy yeah Right, you need somebody to scream and yell boo or yay or whatever. And when there's not, and it's just, I mean, our little roster member that was around there and the extras mm -hmm. enhancement talent and stuff would do it. It helped because they knew when to cheer, when to boo and things like that. But man, it's nothing like 20,000 people screaming at you, right? Mm -hmm. you, you just feel that energy and, it, and you, it makes everything a lot easier and it's a lot harder and it's cold when you're taking these bumps and there's no reactions and things like, but we did it. Yeah, we had to. I mean, we did some unprecedented things and we were there 35 degrees, 32 degrees at yes. nighttime in Florida. It never gets that cold in Florida, really. 110 at other points. Free, you're blowing out smoke and they got heaters under the ring and they didn't work. Yeah, they did. I remember Uno slapping me in the face so hard it felt oh. like needles. Yeah, it's like catching I rolled out of the hand. ring, man. I'm just like, ow, what the hell? <laughs> Last couple of questions for you. Who helped you the most when you were starting out so is there, is there a, an old timer vet or someone maybe that's underrated that gave you like for me it was a guy called jerry morrow who was a legend yeah. in calgary that no one really ever heard of outside maybe japan was there somebody like that for you there was uh, harley was there mm, wow mike graham and steve kern really like learned me the ropes that right Florida? and was really like a father figure yeah. when because dad wasn't there right. he was off doing his stuff right i went down there and then you come up, I come up to NWA still with Kendall. And it really wasn't anybody because that didn't last that long. But everybody took to me fine. But it wasn't really till about WCW when Arn and Bobby Eaton and Barry Windham. Because me and Barry had known each other since kids. And me just being around them and driving around them and learning their ways and the way they handled business and things like that and just listening to Arn because we worked a lot. Right. And they, they, like I said, they were my teachers. And I learned the most probably from Arn and Steamboat. Mm -hmm. Like some nights I would want to sell and Steamboat said, no, I want you to sit and watch this. And I got the best seat in the house. Yeah. So I learned his selling and the way he used his hands even if his face was covered up, he's using his hands to sell and shake, and you feel it, and you know it's the greatest salesman in the yep. business, yep. the greatest arm drag in the business. Yeah. So you learn those two things. You're going to 
be really good, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I started really liking to sell because I really think you can tell a good story by selling. So many guys don't want to sell anymore. It's like, ah, oh, let's just do this and get up and do this and please let me sell. <laughs> Even if you're going over, I still like to sell, right? But I'm going to get my stuff in, but it's like, I'm going to sell, man. I have to. I think that that is uh, kind of what's missing today. The art of selling. The art of selling, right? So they were, you know, Arn Steamboat learned a lot from Sting, driving around with him, just learning. If I could have hung around with Sting a lot more, I would probably be better off at business because mm-hmm. he was very smart in that aspect. But I hung around Barry, you know. <laughs> we went out and we partied and we drank and we, you know, went to work the next day and we had great matches and all that. And it was, that was my life, you know, the, the party life, but having fun. And right. I just wish, you know, looking back on it now, I have no regrets, none. Because those are my teachers, and all the mistakes I made, they they taught me valuable lessons. And but looking back at it, you know, I wish I would have done some things differently, mm-hmm. right? And maybe I would be a little more better off than I am now. But I'm really happy with where I'm at now. I've got my life together, so that's all that matters to me. It's family, taking care of my family, and you know, that's it. Last question for yep. you. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I never have an answer to this when people ask me, but I, I'm going to ask you. How much longer do you want to go? How much longer do you feel like you can go? Have you even thought about it? I have. Um, that's a tough question, man. It's in my blood, you know? So it's like, and I look at Ric Flair in his last supposed last match, and mm-hmm. I don't want to do that, mm-hmm. right? So as long as I can get out of the business and still walk, and even if I have, because I do need a couple of knee replacements, but that's fine. I'll get the knee replacements. I'll be fine. I'll be able to walk around. But I just remember getting in the business and seeing a couple of the old timers on walkers, you know, and in wheelchairs. And I'm like, I don't want to get to that point. Right. But we throw our bodies around and it, eventually something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So if I can get out of the business where I can still kind of semi enjoy walking at least and you know enjoy the rest of my life that's fine but I I love the business so I want to be connected to it in some way whether it's just backstage coaching or whatever because I really love coaching it's a lot of fun for me Uh, a lot of people don't like it I love it I love putting together stuff for these kids to try to figure out and my vision is always different than their vision and I I see them do it and it's like not my vision and it makes me mad, but it's, it's what they see my vision as being. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand it, and I'm patient with that. And I love to tell them, hey, man, you did this, you did this, do this next time. And then they go out and do it, and it works for them, right? So that's kind of the, the knowledge that I want to pass on. So that's my legacy now is, mm-hmm. is passing on my knowledge to the, the younger kids. You're one of the all-time greats, man. You are, too. We're the last of our kind. We are. And it's great talking to you. Thanks, Dustin. You too, buddy.